good morning, church. I want to I want to do something as I was um, listening to uh, the worship team lead in that song, and it is a new song for me uh, even today. Uh, I just felt uh, a desire and a, and a need to invite you uh, for prayer. And and what I mean by that, I've I've had the joy of being more intentional in my prayer time for so many families in our church since the start of this year has happened and it's been sweet and and I can't tell you just how many things God just keeps doing and revealing through that but would you do this for a minute and I'm going to ask our video operators make sure the camera stays on me during this whole time would you just bow your head with me for just a moment just with every eye closed and and whatnot maybe the message of that song is where you are right here and right now I, I don't know if it's in your marriage I don't know if it's in your health I don't know if it's in your spiritual life wherever it might be but but if there's just a need in your life to know that God you have already gone before me you have already cleared the path would you would you help my eyes see that if you would just like prayer for the Lord to remind you that he has already won the battles that you're facing I'm just gonna ask you every eyes closed would you just raise your hand this morning I just want to look and just pray so I can just see hands specifically uh, this morning in that Man, you can put your hands down. Let me pray over you. Father God, um, Lord, what an amazing reality of your word. Uh, Lord, there was never a battle that you called your people into that you didn't get there first. Father, the only battles that we have lost in our life are ones where we have run out in front of you and then invited you later to join us after we felt the sting of defeat and pain. And so, Lord, this morning, I just pray for every hand in this room that went up, God. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in their world. You know exactly how they got in the lane that they're in, Lord. You know if you have called them there and and what's in front of them. And so, Father, in each moment, in each life, would you just allow them to taste and see what life is like when they are caught in your footsteps, Lord, when they walk on the battlefield and all there is to do is to collect the spoil. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me. We're going to finish up our first series of the year in the book of John. John chapter 13 is where we are today. We'll finish up a lesson that's very familiar uh, to us and one that we have seen uh, many times. But maybe we're looking at it fresh and new. And, and just if you haven't been with us, I'll give you the quick um, once over where we've been. Um, where we started two weeks ago was this reality that God, while we are waiting on the return of Jesus Christ, we are not called to just sit and be fit and just do whatever we want. That instead we are called to work about our Father's business. Do what God has called us to do while we're waiting. And then last week what we talked about is being willing to listen and learn what God is calling you to in that work. And not just trying a, a thousand things and being disappointed in a thousand different ways. And this week, we're going to expand on that at the very end today as we look at the explanation in John chapter 13 and really take a look then at how does this play out? How does effective living for Jesus Christ look and and what is my standard? How will I know? Um, 
We're going to be talking today about uh, John chapter 12, 13, excuse me, verse 12 through uh, 18 or 20 is where we'll be today. But as we walk through that, um, we're unpacking an event that happened last week that's pretty earth-shattering is the washing of the disciples' feet. And we talked about how this was a big deal because this is most likely at the Last Supper. There's not a lot of time with the disciples left. And so he chose this uh, illustration, this living illustration for a purpose. And, and what we're going to talk about today is the reason behind it. And I don't want you to guess because here's why. Sometimes we get a little excited and we think like God is showing you something or maybe teenagers, your parents are telling you something. And before they give the explanation, you're like, I've got it. You don't even need to teach me anymore. Like I'm the A-class student. Well, well, let me ask you a question. I have a couple of, of patents. These are real patents that went in life. And, and the first one, I just want you to guess what this patent was for. So it shows up on the screen right here. Let's see. That's a good looking profile, but our patent's gonna look great. Can we get it? There it is. I like it. 1982. Who was born when this patent was put out? That's some of us. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. All right. This is a real patent in the United States. So you know what it is? It's an eating mask for people with low self-control. You lock, you lock it in and you give someone you trust the key. Y'all, that's crazy. Right? I mean, I don't love you that much. I just, the why, I mean, could you imagine? That looks like a metal hook shaped to his head. Oh, I mean, I think this was in like every bad horror movie in the 80s probably. I don't know. What a crazy thought. The second one I won't make you guess about, um, but I'll, I'll give a real advertisement as well. Uh, this lady's got her hands in water and it's connected to electricity. And what it says is for the morning, oh, hello. There it is. For the morning after, uh, placing the hands in a bowl of electrified water is said by physicians to sure be a sure cure for headaches. The water is electrified, which which by, by means of a simple apparatus. Y'all, just want you to know, it's true because that's the last thing you'll ever feel. Like it's over. It's done. <laughs> like, Lord, could you see the woman's look on that? Can you go back to the picture? I want you to look. I think this is her husband's idea and he put her up to it. Can we go back to that? She's like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> awesome, okay. Listen, <laughs> so many crazy things in our culture. These things are ridiculous. They are silly, and I picked them on a reason for a reason. But I want you to know, quite honestly, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, take off his teaching robes, wrap a slave's garment around his waist, pick up a bowl of water and wash the disciples' feet would have been more earth-shattering than either of those pictures to those men in that room. They wouldn't have known what to thought. They wouldn't have known what to do. Peter got up and he protested last week. Jesus basically said, sit down, son, right? But then today he says, but let me tell you what is going on. So if you have a Bible, look with me in verse 12. Um, because I want to let the Lord Jesus Christ unpack anything before I say a word. The Bible says it this way. We read verse 12. Let's just read verse 12 through 14 as we get started. 
And when he had washed their feet, that's Jesus, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So there's a foundation to this lesson that Jesus makes sure is, is understood. And hopefully this will, this will work out. It, it's kind of this triple A moment for Jesus, right? Where he just has this moment where he acts and then that action leads to an ask. But before anyone can ask, he gives an answer, right? And, and this is key because this right here creates the foundation for everything that's going to come after. In fact, I would tell you if this part was stood on its own, it would have been enough. But without this part, the next words, they don't, they don't carry weight. They don't have a meaning to them. And so we want to kind of really let this saturate and stick in us just a little bit. Because first of all, his action, go back to verse 12. Look at the action that Jesus does before he says a word of instruction. Verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. Now, I just love that the, the action of Christ starts the example. Because I can't imagine what was swirling in the minds of the disciples in that room today. But Jesus wanted them to know for sure, I served you, but your slave, I am not. I'm not your slave. I'm, I'm your Lord. I'm still your rabbi. I'm still in charge. And I love the reality that this sets up for the rest of the conversation. Because when Jesus takes that all off before he speaks, he says, I want you to see that I didn't just change who I was to teach you a lesson. Which absolutely made the illustration more complex. You see, church, I think often when we see Jesus as this suffering servant, we, we can think that because he has served us, he is our servant, right? That he's just happy when you show up to church twice a month, right? He's just so proud of you when, when you actually followed him one out of 47 times as if he's groveling, waiting for you and for me, just whatever we do, he should just be so happy he gets that much of you. Jesus came to serve, but he is not my slave and he is not your slave. And when he does this unthinkable act for the disciples right here, he puts his teachers back on, robe back on and basically by his action reminds them I am still I am. So if we know that, then what comes next? I, I, I love that here's where Jesus asks a question. Peter tried this to interrupt earlier, it didn't work. Verse, verse 12, do you understand what I have done? Right, so he said, first of all, I'm your servant. I'm not, I, I served you, but I'm not your slave. But this is where he asks a question. He basically says, do you get it? And before they say a word, he answers it. I want you to think about how Jesus asks questions. Even in the Old Testament, how God asks questions. There's no space between these remarks. And I actually believe in that moment, there was no space for the disciples to come up with an answer. How many times does Jesus ask a question and allow an overzealous pharisaical follower 
to muddy up the truth. I just want you to chew on that for just a second. How many times did Jesus ask a question for this is, I, I, I know, I know, I know. And Jesus says, oh, not you, who else? I mean, how many times in the Bible does Jesus do that? He, he doesn't. He doesn't allow the enemy or an overzealous, immature follower to muddy the water of his lesson. He didn't let Peter do it. He doesn't let you and I do it. He doesn't let this do it. Aren't we glad that we have a Lord and Savior who, who willingly invites us to consider things, but before we make a fool of ourselves or before we mislead someone else is willing to provide the answer? We're thinking through that song. We're fighting a battle he's already won. Jesus is not hiding the truth from you. He's not belittling you and I when he asks you to follow him and he doesn't ask for your opinion on how, what, why, or how it worked. In fact, he's being our master and our Lord. And so when Jesus, who has just confused the whole room, puts on his teacher's robe to remind the disciples of who he was. He asks a question and answers it immediately. And the answer is beautiful. Go back into your Bible. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet feet in this moment Jesus says I want you to know in this room as I'm talking to you if you call me Lord and Savior you're correct you, you've done these things you've followed me you've come after me you're right it's like a teacher grading a paper if you're in my class I want you to know you're in the right spot you're on the right track in other words Jesus stopped here because he wants the disciples to know the truth and he wants them to know that they know the truth you see if Jesus doesn't provide an answer here if he doesn't affirm encourage and speak truth of the reality of what it means to be a disciple then it may leave some of the disciples saying, can I follow a guy who does stuff like this? Can I really follow a Lord who asked me to live, give, and serve so sacrificially? Am I really on the right track? Jesus says at the very front end, you're on the right track. You call me Lord and you are right. You call me teacher and you are right. He affirms the truth. And this becomes this foundation. You see, when you and I are trying to live after Jesus and we're trying to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I think a lot of times we unintentionally start as if we're the epicenter. Have you ever been guilty of that? Lord, I'm having a hard time. Lord, I need to know. Lord, I need the truth. As if God is just waiting there for us to approach him whenever we have a need. Listen, if you only approach your children or your children only approach you when they have a need, how do you feel? I mean, I'll be honest with you. 
If my children, I have a teenager, if you don't know, we have an 18 and 21 year old. If they only called me or talked to me when they needed something, I wouldn't be like, oh, I've been waiting for you to call and ask me for $100. Thank you. Thank you for blessing me. Oh, you're having a hard time with friends. Well, I'm glad you called. It's been six months, but I knew this day would come. Like, I felt worthy the whole time. Of course not. You see, because in a relationship, especially a father to a child, the epicenter doesn't lie in the whims of the child. And so if you and I wanna know what it's like to live and to give and to serve sacrificially, if we wanna know what it's like to work while we're waiting and we're gonna be willing to listen, then here's what we have to know. We have to believe that the truth, the clear truth to every question, to every battle, to every hurdle lies in the one we rightly call Lord and Savior. Not in your buddy, not in your friends, not in your Reddit group or Facebook group. It sure, surely doesn't, you know, it's not in Washington. Washington, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But, but it lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't doubt that. Don't, don't become distracted by your lack of understanding because he'll take you there. But it starts and it ends with him. If I were to draw this differently, I would tell you it always points back to Jesus. Anytime he acts, anytime he asks, and anytime he answers. Why? Because John chapter 14 says that he is the truth. Now here's what I want you to know before we go a step further. Jesus says, you call me Lord and you call me teacher and you are right. Skip down to verse 18 and we'll come back and fill in the rest in just a second. In verse 18, this is what Jesus says. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. Here's what I want you to know. The lessons of Christ without the foundation of his lordship in your life have no purpose, value, joy for your life. They don't yield fruit. Because the reality is if he's not your Lord, it doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter how many checkbox. You could be a morally better person than anyone you've ever met. But without this foundation, then what he has in store for his disciples will not be yours. So before we go any further in this, I just want you to pause with me. If you need to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. If you don't need to, it's fine. But I I just want you to have a moment with the Lord. I just want you to say, Lord, or Jesus, are you my Lord and teacher? If the answer is no, and your spirit doesn't testify in that, then as you listen to the rest of the sermon, I want you to see the sweetness of God made flesh. Because everything points back to the opening of who he is. Father God, 
right now, Lord, in this room, there is no man or woman that knows their own, another man or woman's spirit, but we know our own. So, Father God, if we have been trying to please you or obtain your blessing without embracing the truth that you are our Lord and Savior right now, God, I pray that you would allow lips and hearts to confess and repent. Lord, so they may know your truth or that you might set people free. And for those, Lord, in this room whose spirits testify, yes, Lord, would you unpack the joy of this action, this life-changing action for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. After Jesus establishes this, he really gives us a better picture. He, he wants us to know what happened. And, and I don't know about you or, or me, um, but I would tell you these statements that we make, if, then, have you ever used one of these statements? Right? If you clean your room, then you can go out with your friends, right? If you do the dishes, honey, I'm talking to you men, when I get back home, I'm gonna be in a great mood. Do I need to say that again, ladies? You follow me, right? If you decide stop shines are optional, then you're gonna owe the government money, right? These if-then statements are real. And so I want you to know, Jesus makes an incredible if-then statement, all talking about what they've seen, not just the washing of the feet, but who he is as Lord of their life and master, his confrontation with Peter and all of these things. And this right here just becomes this foundation for sacrificial living, giving, and serving and the joy in it. Verse 14 through 16. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than their master. So, so here's the if. Jesus says, if you believe everything I just said, if you have confessed me as your Lord and your teacher, then he used this word, and in, in mine, it's ought, right? Does anyone have a different word than that? Does anyone see the word obligated in there? This word obligated, I, I like it because it carries... O-B-L-I-G-A-T. Sorry, y'all. Obligated. He says, if I'm your Lord, then you actually have an obligation. And, and here's what that word ought means in your, in your Bible. If you look at verse 14, um, it, what it means is you have a debt to pay, basically. If I am your Lord, then you have a debt to do what I do. I mean, you should chew on it. If I am your Lord, then you have a debt to do to pay. In other words, you have to do, if there's an obligation, there's an expectation. And it's not like a regular even obligation. It's not just saying, hey, if you say yes to this job, then you're obligated to show up for work. Well, that's true. But, but this is greater than that. 
Jesus says, church, if this is true about me, then you have something that you cannot get away from. Like it's, it's inescapable. You must do what I do. In fact, I would tell you this reality, it not only runs through the whole of scripture, but it is steeped in the need and the purpose of the church, why we gather the disciples of Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. And every time it's the same word obligated, even though your translation may tweak it. Romans 15, one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is what Paul is saying is, Jesus, who was strong, put up with you. Someone's like, but at least I'm not them. Watch it. Jesus put up with you. You are obligated to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ you're obligated to put their needs before your own. It's not a request. It's a command. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought, obligated, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing here's what Paul is saying is I have an obligation to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ when they are maturing and growing and running hard after Jesus I have an obligation to praise God for that not to be jealous not to wish you had what they had. You have an obligation to give thanks to God that other people are growing strong in him. 1 John four eleven, Beloved, if God so loved us, we are obligated to love one another. But God, you know that person? He's like, have you met Peter? They're really hard to love. They, they drive me nuts. John, who walked with Christ, who was there when he said this, the reality of the obligation to follow in the footsteps of the pastor or the master was so great that he says, we are obligated to love one another. John 3, John in chapter, or sorry, 3 John in chapter 8 or verse 8. We are obligated to support people. They would be fellow, fellow workers with them. We're not obligated just to sit on the sidelines and say, man, y'all are doing great work. Good job. We're, we're obligated to support them, to get behind them, to run with them, to assist them, to help them out. And then Luke when Jesus gives an example, says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, for we have only done what was our what? Obligation. You see, here's what Jesus says in this moment. There is no worse thing that Jesus could have done in the minds of the disciples and still have been clean 
than to get up from the table, take off his garments, his outer garments, and put on a towel and wash their dirty feet. That was the lowest of the low. It's the worst thing that they could imagine even ever being done. And Jesus says, you listen, this is how far I will go to show you the love of the Lord and teach you the truth of my Father. If I'm going to this level to show you not my will, but God's be done. Then church, you and I have an obligation to say, Lord Jesus, whatever you want. We can't mess up freedom. You see, you and I have been set free in Christ, not from him. We think that freedom means from. And, and to a degree it is, but that's such a small worldly word. If Christ has set us free and we're free indeed, we are no longer slaves to our sin, to our selfishness, to our wants, to our whims, to how we feel that moment, how that person made us feel. We're no longer like everybody else in the world who can be that without Jesus Christ. But Christ has set you free from sin. And that freedom isn't to, to be your own deity. It's freedom to live in him. So when you work while you wait, when you listen and learn, here's what you're gonna hear and it's gonna be just right for each moment. It's gonna be the right mercy for every day. It's gonna be the discipline of love that comes from the Lord, from those he cares about. If I am your Lord, Stop making excuses. For behaving badly. For critiquing and criticizing one another. If I am your Lord, you are obligated to follow me. I read verse 16. some words so read with me verse 16 and I'll catch myself truly truly I say to you a master excuse me a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent them and I scribbled down I am not better than you, Jesus. If there was nothing too humbling for you to do, then there is nothing beneath me as I follow in your footsteps. There is no person too stained from sin there is no act that can't be forgiven. 
there is no duty no there's there's no calling there's no reason to complain to you because i am not better than you so if lowliness and humility was how you carried out the father's will then Lord, nothing is beneath me when you call me to do it. Verse 17 closes it up. After Jesus asks and answers his own question, verse 17, he says, if you know these things, then blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, then blessed are you if you do them. There's a, there's a beautiful connection here. It's the if and then statement. One more time. If I am your Lord, if you know these things, if you know what I have done for you, if you know how I left the throne of heaven and came in humility, as your Lord, if you know these things, then if you do them, then you will be blessed. And the word blessed is not some silly church word that no one knows the meaning of. The Greek word is happy. What Jesus says is, if you know me and you live your life carrying out this joyful obligation to me and with me then it won't matter if you're washing feet or washing dishes it won't matter if your body hurts or all your friends abandon you because you'll know my happiness You'll know what it's like to taste heaven in the midst of this broken, fallen place. And church, if we know and believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, if we are driven by this picture of eternity, then why not try and taste it as much as we can on this side? So we just prepare ourselves for that day. Church, God has great plans for his people. But the question is first, are you his? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, in a moment we'll have a time of prayer, we'll have deacons at the front, we have people in our connection center. What we want to do is just to tell you who Jesus is. If you need more than his words in this passage, but if not, I would tell you there's nothing that holds you back. The one who set me free and these people, these men around the table free is here for you.
But for so many of you in this room who I know are brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you. You say that Jesus is your Lord and your teacher. You're right. You didn't miss it. And that reality means that you are obligated to walk in his footsteps, to delight in what he delights in, and to eat from his table. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, the truth and the reality is there's so often that we say, I'll serve you and sigh and moan. <laughs> Where we wish we could serve you like someone else does because of circumstantial intervention. But Lord, the truth is, Lord, there's nothing holding back those who belong to you. So Lord, let us be witnesses of the light. Let us be a testimony to the truth that we believe rightly with every part of who we are. And then there is no thing too small, there is no person too far gone that we won't follow Jesus Christ into doing, to reaching, or to touching. And the reality is, it's a little selfish because we know that the more we follow you, God, the happier, the more fortunate of a life we will delight in. In Jesus' name.